Hi, this is Debbie Taylor-Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. We're seeing how Paul, his ship encounters a storm en route to Rome. And we see this, that every Christian, I read this recently and I wanted to bring it to you. Every Christian is either heading into a storm, is in a storm, or is coming out of a storm. How many of you could say one of those fits me somewhere in that category? I've, I've experienced a storm. And we see that God has not promised that we will not have storms and that we'll just sail through life. There, you won't find that in the scripture. What you will find is that he is guaranteed that we will arrive safely in heaven to stand before him. This is a map that I think you may also have. It just sort of gives you an idea of the scope, that red line of all the places that Paul went on that ship. I want to remind you of something. This is not Paul's first shipwreck. In first, I'm sorry, second Corinthians 11:25, he detailed how he had been shipwrecked three times, and this was before this shipwreck. So when you hear Paul giving some words of advice and counsel, it's not like he hasn't been on a ship and he doesn't know a little bit about sailing. If you're like me, you might have had a hard time figuring out, well, how big was this ship? In my research, I discovered that it's about the same size as our USS Constitution, 204 feet in length. And the USS Constitution could sleep 450 to 500 men. So that gives you some concept of maybe how big that ship was, because we know that there were 276 people on this ship. Now, I want you to look at the progression of the storm before we read our scriptures. In verse 4, it's described as contrary winds. So they sailed under the shelter of Cyprus. Verse 7, difficult winds. Again, they're sailing under the shelter of Crete. In verse 8, difficult winds to fair havens. And I just wonder, as you're listening and reading and studying this with me, can any of you identify to the storms in your life? Maybe relationships started out kind of contrary, and then the relationship or the business situation got more difficult, and you still kind of tried to keep steering things in the right direction, but it continued to be more difficult, and then it became dangerous. It says it's gone from contrary to difficult to dangerous, and it was dangerous when they were trying to sell because it was the wrong time of the year. And then we move from contrary, difficult, dangerous, and now what do we have? The winds are described as damaging winds. And we can think back perhaps to some relationships where it's gone from contrary to difficult to dangerous and then there was damage done in a relationship, in a financial situation, in a health situation. Then sometimes there's that little moderate breeze, a little bit of relief that comes along and we may think, ah, oh, it's all over. And then boom, violence, a violent wind where you are caught, driven, violently tossed, even to the point sometimes of feeling absolute hopelessness. Have you ever been there where you have had a situation and you felt like it was hopeless? Today we see so many analogies to 
the storm that Paul experiences and the storms that we can have in our own lives. Now, here we'll, we'll begin reading and we'll see the first jaunt of this sailing trip in verse uh, one. It says it was decided that we would sail for Italy and they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius and embarking in a Midian ship, which was about to set sail to the regions along the coast of Asia. We put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. And you know from your study that Aristarchus has accompanied Paul on other missionary trips, and he is referred to by Paul in different books of the Bible, in Colossians and Philemon, as his fellow worker and as his fellow prisoner. So this was a companion of Paul. In verse 3, it says, the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra. So this was about a 500-mile sailing trip, this first jaunt. Then, as we continue reading, it says, when we sailed through the sea along, okay, we landed in Myra and Lysitia, I read that. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and this would have been a larger ship, probably, that was transporting wheat, transporting grain to Rome, and he put us aboard it. Verse 7, when we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty, had arrived off Canidus, since the wind did not permit us to go further, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. And so now we see that they go another 130 miles to Canidus and then another 130 miles on to Crete. Let's continue reading. When... Let's see, when we had with great difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens. This is our next map. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was over, and this was the Day of Atonement, that was probably October 5th in AD 59. They've been able to go back and calculate that. And so we know the time of the year, given in verse 9. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss. Was he right? He was right. Not only of the cargo and of the ship, was he right? He was right. But also of our lives. And praise God, we know that a lot of praying went on, no doubt, by Luke and Paul and Aristarchus, and, and, and God answered those prayers that lives were not lost. Verse 11, but the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they might could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. When a moderate southwest 
wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete inshore. Let's look at a few tips that we can get as we look at this mount first and recognize that red line going down because of their decision is going to take them far, far away from the green line going up toward their proposed destination, Phoenix. Let's look at some of the things that we can learn. The first point that we can take away is one, don't blame storms in your life on God or Satan when you violate God's law and laws of nature. This was a known time of the year that was dangerous to sail, where violent winds would occur. And when it says that the place where they were, Fair Havens, was not suitable, it means it wasn't as commodious. It wasn't as convenient. It wasn't as good of a fit as what they would have preferred having in Phoenix, where perhaps it would have been larger, it would have been just nicer to put up there for the winter. They violated what they as sailors knew to be a bad, bad time of the year to sail. So number one, if you and I are going to lie, cheat, commit adultery, overspend, do all the things, harbor bitterness, be unforgiving, if we are going to violate God's laws and we end up in a mess, that is not the time to say, well, Satan's just attacking me. No, we violated God's law. Second thing that we see in verses 9 through 11 is speak up. Say what you know to be true and keep saying it, even if people don't listen. Have you ever just become shut down, perhaps, in speaking because you thought, well, they never listened to me, so I'm just going to quit talking. You go ahead and you speak the truth in love, as the scripture tells us to, because at some point, those people in your life will realize that what mama, sister, wife, business lady said, ah, oh, I think she knew what she was talking about. If what you were speaking is true and based on the word of God and given by him to speak. The third thing that we see in verses 10 through 11 is follow Paul's inspired perceptive words instead of people's persuasive words. This is very important to me because you and I are, as we move into our culture being continuously apart from God and his word and being ignorant of God and his word, we're going to hear all kinds of philosophy, theology, everything else. And people can sound very persuasive when they're speaking to us about moral issues, about marriage issues, about relationship issues, about gender issues, whatever it may be. People can sound very persuasive. But the point is we instead need to listen as verse 11 points out to us, verse 10 and 11, Paul says, men, I perceive. And he says, I am taking the facts. And this isn't necessarily some spirit-infused insight that Paul had that nobody else had. He is saying, I am looking at the situation and I'm analyzing it. And this is what's going to happen. 
It's going to go down badly if you take off and you go sailing in this way. Have you ever warned somebody and said, this is not going to go well for you if you marry this person. This is not going to go well for you if you overspend in this area. This is not going to go well for you. And it wasn't because the Holy Spirit gave you some incredible perception. It's just that you were using the God-given senses that God has given, given you. And you knew by experience, by God's laws of nature, by God's laws. But you see, the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot of the ship and by the captain than by Paul. But what's going to happen later on? It's going to switch, isn't it? So you, you follow and speak those true words and you and me follow Paul's words. And why do I have that in there? Because Paul has wonderful words for you and me in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Colossians, in Philippians, in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And you and I need to take Paul's words that he's written in all those books of the Bible to our heart. Because just like those men didn't listen to Paul, if you and I ignore Paul's words that are given in this scripture, we're no different than that centurion. We're no different than that centurion if you and I don't take Paul's words to heart. The fourth thing that we see is be aware that majority rule isn't necessarily right. Be known for standing for God even if you are in the minority because they took a vote, the majority said, let's go on. And this next point is very important for us. Five, pay attention to your suppositions. It says for us in this verse 13, when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. Do you see that word supposing? Is that your word that's in your translation? Yours may say being of the opinion, but this word supposing is found very few times in the New Testament. And the majority of the times, all but one, where it's used, it is wrong. It ends up with a wrong supposition that was made. Mary supposing Jesus to be the gardener. Was Jesus the gardener? No. Mary was wrong in her supposition. There are other times when Martha and Mary were crying and weeping and, and Martha had already gone out to see Jesus and meet him and then Mary jumped up and she ran quickly to meet Jesus and said the people supposing that Mary had gone to the tomb to weep. Now Mary hadn't gone to the tomb to weep. She had gone to meet Jesus. There are numerous examples of, in the Bible, of suppositions because people are just looking and they're thinking, oh, well, and that's what the sailors did. They said, hey, we've got a good breeze here. It's only 50 miles. I think we can make it. Have you ever done that? I think we can make it on this tank of gas. I think we can make it, you know, with just this little bit of money. I think we can do this. We've all probably had some suppositions. So your encouragement is pay attention when you're thinking to yourself, you know, I suppose this would be okay to do. Because oftentimes it is not okay to do. One of my friends named Mary contributed to my book, The Plan A Woman in a Plan B World. I'd ask my friends to share their plan Bs 
and hers was when she had an affair. And she was 37, she was a Christian, she was a dedicated worker in um, our church here. And it actually may not have, she may not have been here at this time, but she supposed that it would be okay to listen to this man's words. Your husband doesn't understand you. And my imagination said, someone understands me. We could, we could meet at 1030. And she supposed, oh, you know what? It wouldn't hurt anything to meet for coffee to get together. Watch out for your suppositions, ladies, because they can be wrong and they can be dead wrong. They can hurt you and others. So prayerfully lay your suppositions before Christ. Stay in his presence and listen to his voice. You know, from being with me, that's why I like to use my prayer journal so much, because I will go before the Lord and say, Lord, is this something you want me to do? Or is this something that I just, I suppose it looks good to do, but I'm not sure. Lord, what do you want? What is your will? You stay long enough before the Lord asking him about things that you're supposing you might should do, not do, whatever it may be. Take those to the Lord because those suppositions can turn out to be not what you thought they were going to be. Ask, is there anything I'm supposing right now that could be wrong? because we can have wrong opinions, which is what this word also means. Six, realize that you can be in the center of God's will, but be negatively affected by people who don't listen to God, or who don't give godly advice, or who don't listen to godly advice. You can be caught and driven along by other people who aren't listening to God. Have you ever been caught in a situation and it affected you financially? It affected you in your marriage. It affected you in what work you did, where you lived. You were in the center of God's will, but because of someone else's situation of not listening to God. It seized you, it grabbed you, it, it caught you, which is what this meant. We see this is what happened with Paul because we know Paul was in God's will. But it says, but before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Euroquila. Now this was violent, much more than the video I just showed you. It was hurricane force. It was tossing them in every direction. They had absolutely no control. A, a book called Albatross is the true story of a woman's survival at sea. And in it, she describes part of her experience. She said, um, I saw Mark die for the compartment at the stern where the life raft had filled with emergency supplies and it was stowed. A dark tower of water hanging from the deck came crashing down on Meg and me, dragging us into the rigging of the mainstay. I was underwater and then I was up and I could hear Meg screaming before we were both sucked back toward the stern by another surge. In the law between ways, I managed to swim away, treading water and riding the enormous swell. Meg, I shouted, swim away from the boat. I can't. I watched her get dragged back into the shrouds. I knew she didn't understand. It goes on and on describing the terror 
of when you are being sucked under the waves. And this was a violent, violent storm that they were in. It says in verse 15, the ship was caught in it and it could not face the wave and so they had to give way to it and let themselves be driven along. Have you ever just thought, I'm just gonna have to ride this out? I'm gonna have, yes, some of you are nodding. I'm gonna have to ride out this terrible situation in our marriage. I'm gonna have to ride out this financial situation. I'm gonna have to ride out what's happened as a result of whatever it may be. And, and this is where Paul was. He was smack dab in the middle of God's will, but he was having to ride out and be carried along in the insanity of them being on that ship when they didn't have to be in the middle of the ocean, caught in the middle of this violent storm at the wrong time of the year. Have you ever been resentful because you didn't do anything wrong, but because of other people's choices and actions and you got outvoted, whatever it may be, and, and it's terrible, it's terrible. This word was given to us so that we will recognize and realize that we can be in the center of God's will and bad things can still happen. What do we do? What do we do when that happens? Years ago, I wrote this anchor for the soul. When the sea of life is drowning you and your life is caving in, when despair is overwhelming and you can't see to the end, when you hurt beyond all boundaries and your mind is swirling down, oh my friend, you need an anchor and there's just one to be found. When sorrows billow fearlessly and capsize your lifeboat and the darkness moves upon your heart and settles in your throat when you wish a million times you could have it like before, but you know the day is gone and will never be no more. When you hurt beyond all boundaries and your mind is swirling down, oh, my friend, you need an anchor and there's just one to be found. Oh, the sea of life is fearless. It will sweep your heart away. It will take the one you cherish, even take them to the grave. And so who could ever help you? What great friend can meet your need? Only one can match life's enemy and bring hope out of defeat. When you hurt beyond all boundaries and your mind is swirling down, oh my friend, you need an anchor and there's just one to be found. Oh, the greatest need of our day is not a temporary fix. It's a greater vision that we need, so turn to God for this. We need one who is eternal, who can see eternity's span, for our life can seem quite senseless, driving mad the sanest man. Oh, my friend, we need an anchor, and there's just one to be found. It is God, in Christ the Spirit, and in Him these days be bound. When you hurt beyond all boundaries and your mind is swirling down, pray to God the Father Spirit. In Him, new strength is found. When I was asked to write a book on prayer, I wrote, Pray with Purpose, Live with Passion. And what the Lord gave me to write and showed me that was in whatever situation is occurring, the first thing to do is to look up. And Pat, you mentioned that this morning again. You look up and you say, Lord, you are the Almighty God. 
You are the beloved. You are the comforter. You are the door. You are eternal. You are faithful. You are the guardian of my soul. You are holy. You are Emmanuel here with me. You are just. You are the king of kings. You are the light. You are majestic. You are the God of new life. You are the overcomer. You are the potter. You are the quickening spirit. You are righteous. You are a shield about me, a strong tower to whom I can run. You are the one who upholds me. You are victor. You, Lord, are wonderful. You are exalted. You are Yahweh. And I know, Father, that you are zealous for me because you sent your son to die for me. You look up when those waters and floods, sorrow, tears, depression, anxiety are overwhelming you. You look up and start praising him for who he is. So we see this sixth point, you can be in the center of God's will, but negatively affected by people. Our seventh point is in verse 14 through 22, when it's dark and you can't see how things are going to work out and your hope is gone. The Lord's words to Paul were so significant because he spoke to Paul through an angel it says in verse 21, well, I'm going to back up because they, in verse uh, 18, it said the next day we were, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they came, began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. This means they were just grabbing stuff and trying to get rid of it because the ship was taking on water and, and they were sinking. And so they were trying to get the, everything off to lighten the ship so that the ship wouldn't sink. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and this was no small storm that was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. We can read those words, but you know from reading your passage that they had 14 days, no sun, no storm, I mean, no sun, no stars, and this violent up and down and being tossed and turned, no doubt they were retching, they, they couldn't eat, they, they, they were just trying to keep banging their heads, and um, it's, it's horrifying. It's horrifying what they what they went through. <clears throat> but here, the angel of the Lord spoke to Paul, and then he shares with them what the angel of the Lord said to them. He said in verse 22, Keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship for this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on a certain island. But when the 14th night came, as they were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching land. You've studied this. You've read this. I want us to go ahead and look at these last points. When it's dark and you can't see how things are going to work out, keep up your courage. This is a repeated message that the Lord gives to Paul. Be assured Jesus is holding you. 
Be assured Jesus is on the throne, and even though you can't see, perhaps your hand in front of you because of the darkness or the despair, he is shining brightly. Be assured Jesus knows where you are. He sees you. He knows your situation. Because there are times that we can feel like, well, nobody knows the situation I'm in. Nobody can really understand my situation. God saw Paul's situation. He saw it. And God sees your situation. And he is present to help you, comfort you, and guide you. Our eighth point as Paul said, men, you ought to have listened to me. He wasn't saying, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, I was right. He was saying, you ought to have listened to me then when I told you that we shouldn't sell in this wrong time of the year. And so now you ought to listen to what I'm saying. And he went on, of course, and he told the centurion when some of the sailors were wanting to escape in the lifeboat. And this time, the centurion has changed, and he is now listening to Paul. That is your hope. That is my hope. We want to be so close to the Lord. We want to speak the truth. We want to know the truth in the hopes and in the prayer that at some time and some point, perhaps someone who has not listened to godly counsel, that they will begin listening to godly counsel. That is your charge. That is my charge because we belong to God, don't we? We belong to God. Peter writes and he says, we are royal priesthood. Peter writes that. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? You have been bought with a price. We have been bought. And that is what Paul says here where he says that he belongs to God. I hope that you love thinking, I belong to God. I don't belong to Satan. I belong to God. And as a result of that, I can be a representative. I can be a spokesman for God, just like you can be, like Paul was being. And so we see that the centurion learned who to listen to in verse 31 when he said, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers they cut away the ropes of the ship, ship's boat, the lifeboat, and let it fall away. And Paul was encouraging them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day. And then Paul said again in verse 34, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation. And 35, having said this, he led by example. He took bread. He gave thanks to God in the presence of everyone, and he broke it and began to eat. And as a result, verse 36, all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. And this was the 276. So you and me, we need to learn which people to listen to and whose advice we are to follow. I hope you have those people in your life, and I hope you are that person to others. Our ninth point is act and speak like whose you are. Say to yourself, when you wake up in the mornings, before you go to that meeting, before you get together for that family outing, I belong to God, I'm his priest, representing him to others. It can change your perspective. Speak up. 
warn people of what is to come. I hope if you haven't done my study on end times, what you should know, what you should do, you'll do it. It's a five-week online study. It's free. But it will equip you to know what you might need to be warning some people about. Encourage people with God's words. Gain the respect and ear of unbelievers and give thanks to God in front of people. You know, sometimes you might think, oh, I don't need to bow my head and pray before this meal. Why not? Yes, that is a witness to bow your head and give thanks for the bread, for the food before you. Our 10th point and final one is recognize that although there are consequences to bad choices, Jesus will get believers safely home. There were a lot of bad consequences going on in Acts 27, but there was also a lot of good Paul, if you would, we could say, is even on his mission trip because he is there in the presence of those who aren't believers and he is witnessing to the God he belongs. He is speaking as a representative of the God he belongs. And Julius, no doubt, was convinced that Paul was speaking true, right words. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Julius in heaven. What do you think? We see on this map the horrible red straggly line that is not a straight course, that is that, that ship that is being tossed all over, but God, but God is what just flashed before your eyes. So as we look at Acts 27, you know my heart is that we always apply what we have learned. So the first question is, what might you want to do to avoid a future storm? What might you want to do to avoid a future storm? Two, to which encouragement will you cling in the storm? You're following along on your listening guides, and you're seeing that there are some encouragements that you can cling to if you're in a storm. Which one of those on that sheet of paper do you want to cling to? And three, which of Paul's examples of belonging to and representing God do you want to do more often? Find one of those that's listed that you want to do more often. Oh, the sea of life, the storms of life, they can be fearless. But we have in the midst of those seas and storms, a captain, the captain of our soul, the one who is faithful. Father, thank you for your word, for what we learn of you. Thank you for being with us in the storms of life, just like you were with Paul and all of those others who were on that ship. Use us, Father, like you used Paul. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.